Hello, and welcome to I Know Dino, the, the Big, Big Dinosaur, Dinosaur Podcast, Podcast, where we cover news, interviews, and discussions of all things dinosaur. Hello, and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. And today's podcast is brought to you by TRX Dinosaurs. They have innovative puppets, poseable sculptures, and animatronics, and you can find out more at trxdinosaurs.com. And by the Royal Tyrol Museum. Every year, they host experts from around the world to present the latest research happening in the field of paleontology. You can get more information at tyrolmuseum.com and view previous speakers on YouTube. Speaking of around the world, Garrett and I are doing this show from Taiwan. We are. Our first of many. Yes. We're here for the next couple months, in yeah. fact. Well, we might be stopping by Japan and Korea, too, to see some more dinosaur sites. Yep. And we'll be sharing our adventures on Instagram. So look out for posts at I Know Dino. We also have Dinosaur of the Day, Augustania, and a bunch of dinosaur news. But first, as always, we would like to thank some of our Stegosaurus patrons. This week, we would like to thank Scotty, Jackson, Megan Dixon, Kessler, Tristan Jules, Grandpa Dino, Rhinosaurus, and Morgan Eklov. Yeah, thank you so much. We appreciate all of your support. Just a quick note, if you hear some extra background noise this week, it is because for our first week in Taiwan, we are staying in a hotel room, so walls are thin. Yeah, it is kind of a noisy hotel, <laughs> so sorry about that. Hopefully we can edit around it and it won't be too annoying. Yeah, but we do really appreciate all of your support, and for those of you listening, if you want to get in on this growing community, check out our page at patreon.com slash inodino. Jumping right into the news, we have a new dinosaur from Arkansas, and it was published in JVP by Rebecca Hunt and James Quinn, and really, this one was discovered by Joe Friday back in 1972. <laughs> oh, that explains the species name. Yes, a little foreshadowing. Joe Friday immediately donated the fossils to the University of Arkansas back in 1972, and then... The co-author Quinn took them to the 1973 SVP meeting, and Dr. Edwin Colbert determined that they were probably from an ornithomimid way back then, but it took until 45 years later for it to get its name. And like Sabrina hinted at, its full name is Arkansaurus Fridayi, and the Arkansaurus is basically Arkansas lizard for obvious reasons. And then Friday Eye is after Joe Friday, who discovered the fossils. And they were found in Locksburg, Arkansas, which is down near the southwest border with Oklahoma and Texas. And the formation is from the early Cretaceous. They call it the early Cretaceous, but it's really near the middle of the Cretaceous, about 113 million years ago. And there are quite a few ornithomimosaurs found from the late Cretaceous in North America, but it's only the second named ornithomimosaur from the early Cretaceous in North America. So that makes it pretty significant. Unfortunately, they only found a quote-unquote nearly complete right foot. So there's not a whole lot of information about it. And the only things that differentiate it are like the thickness of one of the toes and other little minor details, which might be why it took so long for somebody to name it, because it's not the most diagnostic of finds. Wasn't this unofficially named recently, too? Yeah, I'm not sure where the legislature found out about it. It was probably from the authors, but last year 
the Arkansas state legislature named Arkansas to be the state dinosaur of Arkansas. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And that was obviously before it was officially named because it was just officially named a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Which I didn't realize. It was named about a year ago. It was early 2017 when they named the official state dinosaur. It was a good thing during the peer review, somebody didn't find out that like Arkansas was already in use somewhere. Yeah, you might have a Paluxysaurus situation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There have been other dinosaur finds in Arkansas before, but they've only been fragments. And they've come from what they think are theropods, sauropods, and ankylosaur remains. But it looked like it was nothing new, and I couldn't even tell if they identified which specific species they came from. Based on the foot, they think it was between 6 and 15 feet, or 1.8 and 4.6 meters tall. It's quite a range. Yeah, and I think that's because a foot isn't a very good indicator of size. How tall do you think someone would think I was based on my foot? They'd probably give a similar type of range, like somewhere between 4 and six feet <laughs> <laughs> that'd be pretty great yeah it'd be six feet it is pretty great <laughs> apparently they made a couple casts of this when they originally found it and they gave one to joe who found the fossil and then they also gave one to the arkansas museum of discovery and they also made a statue the arkansas museum of discovery did to go with it but I can't find it referenced anywhere on their website, so I don't know if it's still on display there or anywhere else. There also was or is a cast in a classroom in the Ozark Hall at the University of Arkansas, I apparently. I don't know. So maybe if you're around there, you might be able to see it. And then they're also making or have made an outdoor sculpture version of Arkansas for Field Station Dinosaurs in Kansas. Cool. Which is opening on May 25th. I bet they made it the biggest version. Probably, yeah. <laughs> or maybe they got the one from the Arkansas Museum of Discovery, and mm -hmm. that's where it ended up. I kind of doubt it, but it could be. So there you go. Now Arkansas is official, and Arkansas has named their state dinosaur after an actual dinosaur fortunately, <laughs> and not something that never ended up being named in the literature. So that's a win. Next up is an article from the Journal of Iberian Geology published by Camilla Bandiera and others. And really, it's all about Barosuchidae. Have you ever heard of that, Sabrina? Nope. Well, it's a crocodilian group that were from South America. And the reason I bring them up is it was proposed before that they were the apex predators that were outcompeting theropods in the late Cretaceous in the area of Baura, which is in Sao Paulo State in Brazil. The reason that they thought that they were dominating the ecosystem and outcompeting theropods is when you look at the fossil record, you find way more of these Baurosuchians than you find of theropods or even titanosaurs for that matter. And they also said that the Barosukians were evolving to be more theropod-like, which I think means <laughs> <laughs> that they're walking more upright. And they saw it was working. Yeah, exactly. Sort of like a convergent evolution type of thing. Although they were still quadrupedal, so it's kind of like those early pseudosukian guys that were, look kind of like a cross between a dog and a crocodile, where they're walking upright like a dog, except they're crocodiles. It's kind of terrifying. <laughs> also like the early recreations of dinosaurs, really. 
So the researchers collected data on the barosuchids, the titanosaurs, and the theropods that were found in the area, and they found that the barosuchids lived in floodplains. And if you're familiar with fossilization, you know that floodplains are a great place to get fossilized. <laughs> because when it floods, you can easily get buried by a bunch of sediment washing in. And in order to get fossilized, you have to get buried quickly so that you don't get eaten and scavenged and all your bones broken up and all that kind of stuff. So it might be one of those things where they were disproportionately fossilized? Exactly. So that's, that's exactly what the researchers thought, because the theropods and titanosaurs weren't found in these floodplains. They were found in areas that weren't preserved as well. So in other words, it's just a preservation bias thing. They find a lot of these barosuchids because they're in floodplains and less of the theropods because they weren't in floodplains. And when you control for those factors, it looks like the barosuchids were important to the ecosystem, but they weren't dominant. So they weren't taking over the theropod role as was previously proposed. Yeah, theropods don't go down that easily. No. Up next is an article published in Paleontology by Francisco Serrano and others. And what they did was they were looking at two small dinosaur slash birds from the early Cretaceous, Concornus and Eoalulavis, which were both around about 125 million years ago in the early Cretaceous. And what they were looking at was the flying ability or style of the birds based on their wing length, body mass, and the aerodynamics overall of the bird. And what they concluded is that neither of these birds slash dinosaurs could glide, but they could fly through a mechanism called bounding flight. And the way they describe that is periods of flapping and ballistic phases. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of cool. Apparently small birds do this all the time. And if you think about seeing one of these small like passerine or woodpecker birds flying, what they do is they kind of flap a little bit and they go up and then they tuck their wings in and then they kind of dive down a little bit. So they kind of like bob up and down as they fly. Hmm. Like You see it a lot with little birds doing it. And they call the ballistic phase when they tuck their wings in and are like dive bombing kind of. <laughs> so... Apparently, this is the kind of thing that small birds do to be efficient when they fly, and it looked like these two birds would have been most efficient using that same kind of mechanism. Because of that, since these are early birds, they're proposing that it might have been one of the first styles of flying that birds evolved. I like the ballistic phases description of it better than bounding flight. <laughs> yeah, sounds much more severe. Yeah. The thing I really like about the article, though, is... We always think about birds and whether or not they could fly as, could they do sustained flight? Mm -hmm. But we're seeing, like we just saw with Archaeopteryx, there are so many different levels of flight going all the way from just like hopping a little bit farther by beating your wings a couple times, all the way up to flying for miles and miles and miles. And then there's tons of different variations in between. So a lot of these early birds might have been able to quote unquote fly and not just glide, but in varying different ways. Yeah, whichever way conserves the most energy. Mm -hmm. And one more piece from an article. This one's from the Journal of Evolutionary Biology by Charles Deeming and Gerald Mayer. They were looking at the anatomy of some Mesozoic birds, and they think that the bird eggshells compared to the weight 
of the birds might mean that the birds couldn't have sat on the eggs without breaking them. Yeah, some of the headlines were the birds may have been too fat to sit on their eggs. Yeah, that's kind of weird. And even the title of the article is that the birds were too heavy to incubate their eggs. But it's not necessarily that the birds are too heavy because the birds are actually kind of similar in weight to modern birds. But it's more that the eggs they think were too weak to support the bird weight. (laughs) (laughs) So modern bird eggs can support about three times the weight of the bird. But they think that Mesozoic bird eggs could have maybe supported the weight of the bird just barely or possibly only supported about half the weight of the bird, which means that if the bird sat on it, it would have likely broken it. And thus, they probably couldn't contact incubate, which is what most modern birds do. They sit on the egg in the nest and they use their own body heat to warm up the eggs and keep them all nice and toasty and growing. That probably protect them more too from potential predators. Yeah, there's a lot of benefits. One of the other ones too is like the emperor penguins way down in Antarctica, there's no way you could possibly have an egg outside of your body Mm -hmm. (laughs) that stays alive in any other way. Like you have to incubate it with your body because you can't dig through the permafrost and the ice (laughs) to bury the egg. It's pretty much the only option. So it increases your range quite a bit with where you can live. But I have one really big problem with this study, and I was going to use it as a fun fact, actually, but then I noticed that they didn't have this, so I, I, I can't even really consider it a fact, because they don't know the eggshell thickness of almost any of these eggs, Oh, which seems like a really huge problem. Then how do you know it's too thin? Exactly. So they were estimating the thickness and the strength of the eggs based on an estimated weight and size of the egg which is based on the size of the bird and their pelvis. So, you know, you can guess based on the opening size in the pelvis how big the egg could have been and therefore how big the egg was. And then they use a ratio of strength to size to figure out how strong it would be. But they said, well, it could be that the eggshells were thicker and then they would have been strong enough. Hmm. It's like, yeah, that seems like a very likely thing that would have happened. (laughs) And I think they said that you don't see the kind of variability in modern eggshells or in dinosaur eggshells on the size versus eggshell thickness to account for that sort of thing. But it's uh, it just seems too speculative, you know, because if they needed to contact incubate them, it seems like not that tricky of an evolution to make the eggshell a little bit thicker. So maybe in the future, if they find some eggshells that align with their research, then it'll really solidify this point. Need more fossils. (laughs) As always, yeah. Before we get on to the rest of the news, we have another word from TRX Dinosaurs. Again, they make innovative puppets, posable sculptures, and animatronics. They also post some really cool videos and images of the works in progress on their Instagram at TRX Dinosaurs. We mentioned this one last week, but I still enjoy it a lot. So the latest one as of this recording is a video of a baby T-Rex puppet. And with T-Rex dinosaurs, they can make any kind of dinosaur. Yeah, they're all custom made to order. So for example, if you live in Arkansas and you want your very own Arkansaurus, you can order that. Yeah. And you could call it life-size, anywhere from 6 to 14 feet tall. 
So it could fit in your house <laughs> if you go on the small side, or it could not fit in your house if you go on the large side. <laughs> or if you're a museum and you're working on a new exhibit. Yeah. Maybe you're doing an exhibit of official state dinosaurs. Or you're just in Arkansas and you want an Arkansaurus. <laughs> yeah. You could probably fit a 14-foot one, or you could just stick it in a stairwell like we keep seeing in smaller museums when they have something really tall they always seem to just put it in a stairwell <laughs> yep so if you're interested in getting a museum quality dinosaur sculpture then check out their website at trxdinosaurs.com or follow them on instagram at trxdinosaurs back to the news singapore which is not too far from us they might have dinosaur fossils so most of the land in Singapore is made of granite, but recent findings at a site in Sentosa suggest that there was a prehistoric lake, and that means that there may have been dinosaurs, but there's not much else to go on yet. That sounds pretty speculative. <laughs> but it'd be cool if it was true. Yeah. In Paris, France, on June 4th, an unidentified dinosaur skeleton will be auctioned. It's a theropod. It's almost 40 feet or 9 meters long. And it's nearly 70% complete. There's not much known about it yet, but it does have differences from known species. So it's not named yet. That's why it's unidentified. The skeleton was found in Wyoming back in 2013, and now it belongs to a British businessman. And it's on display in Lyon and estimated to be worth between 1.2 and 1.8 million euros. And that's what they're guessing it'll be auctioned off as. So when it is auctioned off, it will be installed on the first floor of the Eiffel Tower, and possible buyers could be museums or private collectors, and bidders can bid in euros or Bitcoin, which I thought was an interesting tidbit. Huh. So they're doing, they're holding the auction in the Eiffel Tower? Sounds like it. Oh, wow. And with Bitcoin. Jeez. <laughs> I want to go to that auction. That'd be fun. Well, I hope a museum gets it because then somebody can study it and name this new dinosaur. Well, I wonder, I mean, maybe it isn't, maybe it's just unidentified, but it is an existing species. Like, Oh, true. It's hard to say. Next, thanks to Georgette, who shared this one with us via email. So from now until May 6th, South Australian Museum in Adelaide, Australia, has an exhibit called Dinosaur Revolution. We might have mentioned it before. But Georgette uh, shared some really great photos, and I especially like the one showing the T-Rex skull in front of illustrations of a feathered T-Rex, and one of the images of T-Rex has these short wings, which, I don't know, mm. look kind of funny to me. Yeah, some of the paleo art does that, where rather than just having two tiny claw fingers on the end of tiny arms, they make them like little wings. Yeah, short wings, and it looks kind of cute, even though he's got this mouth full of sharp teeth. Yeah. <laughs> So if you want to visit or in the area, tickets cost $15 and the museum is open every day from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And you can also see skeletons and drawings. You can touch fossil casts and learn more about how dinosaurs evolved into birds. In Georgia and the U.S., Gwinnett County is planning on turning nine county parks into family-friendly Jurassic parks. Ooh. Yeah, they recently accepted nine dinosaur statues and they're going to use those to promote fitness and exploration at the parks. So the statues are going to be on display through the end of the year, and the county's encouraging people to hunt for them. It's basically a scavenger hunt. <laughs> It'd be cool if they made a few of them Cretaceous parks. Yeah, well. Am I asking too much? Yes. Well, maybe not. I mean, Crystal Palace Park did it coming up on 200 years ago. 
But ever since that Jurassic Park book came out, nobody cares about any of the other Mesozoic periods anymore. I don't think Triassic's ever been that popular. No. But Cretaceous, that's really the most popular one, but nobody knows it is. (laughs) True. In Waco, Texas, in the U.S., second grade teacher Janet Roller dedicates one day a year for her own, she calls it dinosaur camp, which sounds really cool. Hmm. I'm a little jealous. (laughs) So she brings science to life. She sets up these stations for second graders to rotate through and learn about dinosaurs. And then she dresses as a paleontologist, although more recently she's been putting on the inflatable T-Rex costume. And she puts up a small tent and toy fire in the middle of the room to simulate camping because apparently most of her students haven't been camping. And then she makes a small dig site also in the middle of the room. And the idea is to give kids a better understanding of how fossils are found and what fossils even are. And the day ends with eating a volcano chocolate cake. Sounds like a pretty good learning experience. (laughs) Learning experience. Yes. (laughs) All of it together. Yeah. But yeah. End the day with cake. That's great. (laughs) Thanks to Stuart who shared this one with us via Facebook. So in Puyallup, Washington State in the U.S., the Washington State Fair Event Center will have a Jurassic tour from April 7th to 8th. There's a dinosaur exhibit with life-size animatronic dinosaurs, a fossil dig area, a dino bounce area, Hmm. a dinosaur band, and a theater. And tickets cost. $23 for adults, $28 for kids, which I was surprised, but I think some of this stuff is limited to kids only. (laughs) No. Yeah. Like maybe the dino bounce area. Yeah. Yeah. They never liked adults in the bounce houses. (laughs) (laughs) But from now until April 6th, you can like their page on Facebook and you'll have a chance to win tickets and they're going to be picking 60 winners. I wonder if you won, if you could be like, I won this ticket. I'm going in the bounce house. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. They probably still wouldn't let you. But Stuart, since you shared this with us on Facebook, I'm guessing that means you're entered to win. Let us know if you win. Next, thanks to Stuart, Adrian, and Michelle who shared this one with us. There was a fire in Canyon City, Colorado in the U.S. that destroyed this T-Rex at the Royal Gorge Dinosaur Experience. Nobody was injured, so that's good, but the video looks crazy. Like the fire engulfs the T-Rex and it makes really quick work of its skin. And it looks kind of apocalyptic. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it looks like it was a really big sculpture too. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's just burning up. I think they, did they say it was due to some kind of electronic failure or something like that, they think? An electrical issue. Yeah, because it's animatronic. Yeah. So Zach Reynolds, who's the president of the Royal Gorge Dinosaur Experience, said, quote, holy smokes, we always knew T-Rex had a temper, but today he blew his top. (laughs) It's good to have a sense of humor about it. Yeah, well, he goes on, which is, yeah, I guess no one was hurt, so you can have a sense of humor. And he goes on to say, there was an unfortunate and rare electrical issue with our mighty T-Rex, and he is no longer, you might even say, extinct. (laughs) (laughs) We're incredibly proud of our team for the way they efficiently and quickly handled the situation and kept our guests safe. That's good. Yeah. I wonder if they'll make a new one. They are. There's already plans to replace it by summer. Nice. And to answer your question from earlier, it was 24 feet tall. That is tall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looked, it was kind of more of an upright T-Rex, sort of like Barney style rather yeah. than <laughs> Jurassic Park style. Yeah, and it was one of those animatronic ones too. Maybe they'll make it a little more realistic now. Maybe. One can hope. (laughs) (laughs) 
Write them a letter. We've got a little bit more news on the official state dinosaur for Arizona. So members of the House Government Committee gave a unanimous endorsement, and now the full House must approve it. And I don't know how many steps are left. So it's out of committee. That's good. Yeah. Next, I recently heard about Jurassic Park Funko Pops, which I was not at all familiar with Funko Pops before. So I looked them up, but they make licensed pop culture collectibles, including vinyl figures and bobbleheads. Hmm. <laughs> and I guess it's just a style of art kind of thing. So I saw pictures of the raptor, the Lophosaurus, and T-Rex. They all have really big heads. I guess they're bobbleheady. Huh. And really large eyes. And even though they have their mouths open to show off their sharp teeth, they, you know, with the large eyes and everything, they look pretty cute. Some of them are already out of stock. We heard from uh, some people who posted this on our social media accounts, but it looks like there's new ones coming out in June that you can pre-order. You can get like Dennis Nedry and Dilophosaurus goo splatter and a John Hammond vinyl figure, or there's a few other ones. So this is all like officially licensed Jurassic Park stuff? I think so. Interesting. Yeah. Speaking of dinosaur collectible toy type things... Uh, Wooey is making something called Dinosaur Fingerlings. I also had to look this one up. I guess I'm not in the loop about toys and collectibles, but fingerlings are these small monkey toys that cling to your fingers. Small monkey toys? They're toys that are monkeys. They look like monkeys. Oh. <laughs> yeah. They cling to your fingers. And they were a huge hit last holiday season. So they're like thimble sort of things? Like they go over the end of your finger? No, bigger. They take up your whole finger. Huh. Because they're monkeys. <laughs> As monkeys do, take up your whole finger. <laughs> <laughs> and they also re react to sound, motion, and touch. So they coo, they blink, they fart, they burp, they sing you songs. Huh. Yeah. So anyway, this company is now making raptor fingerlings. Hmm. They have names. Stealth, Blaze, Fury, and Razor. <laughs> Interesting names. And they're already for sale in Canada and the UK and Australia, and they're going to go on the sale in the US in May. And since the brand is so popular, they're expected to sell out really quickly and, and be available on third-party sites, so you have to pay a bunch more. Maybe I need to get, what do you need, 10 of them? One for each finger? <laughs> <laughs> is that how the kids do it? Or you no just idea. get one? Maybe you just need four might be awkward on your thumb. Okay, and then you just have them on one hand? Mm-hmm. And they made four raptors, so perfect. Do you think they'd interact with each other then, since they interact we respond to things? Maybe. Maybe <laughs> they all sing together. <laughs> In movie news, Ready Player One recently released a trailer, and it's really pretty to watch. So one of the scenes shows a T-Rex ripping apart cars, huh. I, but I don't think there's that many dinosaurs in the movie. There weren't that many in the book, so... Were there any in the book? I mean, I'm wondering if that's one of the, like, Voltron-esque giant creatures. You know what I mean? Mm, I didn't read the book. Oh, okay. Yeah, there are a couple of those combinations of individual robots, so maybe one of those was a dinosaur or one of the individual pieces or something. Yeah, but the trailer didn't look like robots. Oh, it looks like a real dinosaur. Yeah. I guess maybe, because it's a whole, like, world, fantasy world, so maybe you could be a dinosaur if you wanted to. Mm. Or get a pet dinosaur or something. That'd be cool. <laughs> well, the movie comes out March 29th, so 
you see it, tell us about the dinosaurs. We're going to have to see it. What do you mean if somebody else sees it? Well, I don't know when it comes out in Taiwan. Oh, true, yeah. Things need to come out at the same time everywhere. That's my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) And last in the news, ARC Survival Evolved will be available on mobile devices starting this spring for iOS and Android. And they currently have a closed beta for iOS. I was wondering about the battery life because doesn't it take a lot of energy and memory? And Yeah. Yeah. My laptop cannot handle it. Yeah. And I recently saw somebody trying to play ARC on a Nintendo Switch and it went very poorly. <laughs> so I don't know how they think they're going to do it on a cell phone. That's not a very good idea. Yeah. That'll be interesting. Maybe they'll figure it out by spring. Well, sure. at the end of spring, because it's yeah. already spring. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of ARC, thanks to Matthew who shared this with us via Facebook. So ARC partnered with Snail Games USA to make ARC Park, which is a dinosaur VR game. And ARC Park is now on Steam and PSVR. And you can import your dinosaurs from ARC into this VR experience. Hmm. And the trailer looks really good. It's got this magical quality to it. And it features some feathered velociraptors, so plus one for that. Yeah. There's also a really intimidating T-Rex and a lot of other creatures. Yeah. Not necessarily dinosaurs. The velociraptor is way, way, way too big, though. And they have lots of non-dinosaur creatures, even though it's kind of weird because it looks like the most clear ripoff ever of Jurassic World. (laughs) (laughs) Like they even have the same kind of tram into the city and spherical sort of meeting center with holograms and all that kind of stuff. Maybe that's why I liked the trailer so much. Yeah, it is very Jurassic World-y. But then they have dodo birds and like giant monkeys. And we talked about that Beelzebuffo, which was a big frog. But in real life, it was just big for a frog. (laughs) And in Ark, it's so big that you can ride it. (laughs) And they have that in there. So it's not exactly a realistic interacting with dinosaurs experience. There's already a pretty good VR thing for that, if that's what you're interested in. I don't think you can have too many dinosaur VR experiences, though. True. I would definitely play this, for sure. And before we get into our dinosaur of the day, we have another word from the Royal Tyrrell Museum. As we mentioned, they're in the middle of their annual speaker series where scientists and researchers come to the museum to discuss topics in paleontology, which makes sense because they're the only museum in Canada which is dedicated exclusively to the science of paleontology. This week, they're back to their normal schedule with speakers presenting on Thursdays at 11 a.m. in the Museum Auditorium, and they'll be doing that until April. This week, on March 29th, they have Susan Crockford from the University of Victoria talking about the arrival of dogs in North America, which is something I've never thought about. (laughs) Yeah, I always know, or I'd known for a while, dogs evolved along with humans, Mm -hmm. but I never really thought about where in the world they came from. Yeah, and I think there was actually a recent article talking about where certain breeds came from, and they're not exactly where you'd expect. So I wonder if she's talking about that kind of thing, too. But there's one surefire way to find out, and that's to go (laughs) to the speaker series and see her tell you about it. Or if you can't make it, check out the video on YouTube. Yep, which should be up in the next week or two. 
And if you want to learn more about the speaker series, you can head over to tyrolmuseum.com or you can view previous speakers by going to their YouTube channel. And we also have links to both of those in our show notes. And now on to our dinosaur of the day, Augustinia, which was a request from Murdoch Forever 99 via YouTube. So thanks. It was a sauropod that lived in the Cretaceous in what is now Argentina, and it was found in the Lohankura Formation. There's only one species, Augustinia ligabuei. It was named in honor of Augustine Martinelli, who discovered the fossils in 1996 and 1997, and it was named in 1998 by Jose Bonaparte in an abstract. Originally, it was named Augustia, but that was actually already the name of a beetle, so Bonaparte changed the name in a full paper that was published in 1999 to Augustinia. The species name was in honor of Dr. Giancarlo Ligabue, a philanthropist who helped finance the expedition to excavate Augustinia. There's not much that's been described of Augustinia yet, but it was herbivorous. Only fragments have been found that includes vertebrae from the back, hips and tail, and parts of the lower hind limbs. They also found a femur, but it was too fragmented to collect. It was originally thought to have had osteoderms that were supposedly these wide vertical spikes and plates on the back, kind of like stegosaurus, but then later studies found that they were probably fragments of the ribs and hip bones. Hmm. And study of the tissues found that they did not have the same internal structure of other titanosaur osteoderms. A lower leg bone was found that was about 35 inches or 89 centimeters long, and comparing that bone to the same bone in other related dinosaurs led to estimates that Augustinia was about 49 feet or 15 meters long. Just a little guy. Yeah. But since only incomplete fragments have been found, it's hard to know much else about what this dinosaur looked like, and because it didn't appear to have any distinctive armor, there's some scientists who think that it's a nomum dubium. And it's hard to classify Augustinia because of the fragments, but it does have features of diplodocoids and titanosaurs. Gotta find more fossils. Always. <laughs> and our fun fact of the day comes from the Taiwan Land Bank Exhibition Hall of the National Taiwan Museum. Which we visited. It's just around the corner from our hotel. You can guess how we chose where our hotel would be. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool because it's a former bank. So there's actually a bank vault in it. But in the main sort of lobby area, which I'm guessing is where people would go. Do your banking. Yeah, do your banking. <laughs> it's now full of giant dinosaur skeleton mounts, which is yeah. just awesome. They have all three of the good ones. They got a tyrannosaur, an ankylosaur, and a sauropod. So what else could you need? Yeah, plus they have skulls of other stuff. <laughs> they do. But in one of their exhibits, they point out that fishing ships in the Taiwan Strait often find animal fossils while they're trawling for fish because that kind of drags a net along the bottom of the ocean. And apparently there are a lot of animal fossils down there, so they scoop them up along with the fish from time to time. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> I'd rather get that than a fish. Well, that's because you don't fish for a living. But. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> the fishermen probably aren't as excited. <laughs> they might not even recognize them as fossils. They're just like, hey, what's this rock? <laughs> Getting caught in my net. And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening. If you have any friends who like to learn about dinosaurs, tell them about our podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss out on any new episodes. You can also join our growing community on Patreon at patreon.com slash I know Thanks again and until next time. 
Thank you for listening to I Know Dino. If you have any questions or comments about dinosaurs, we'd like to hear from you at plesiosaur at iknowdino.com. And for more information on dinosaurs, go to iknowdino.com or follow us on Google, Facebook, Tumblr, or Twitter at I Know Dino.